Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where we share stories and tips to help you run a better farming business and create your very own freedom farm. If you're looking to work smarter and not harder in your farm business, welcome, you're in the right place. G'day, welcome again to Profitable Farmer. I'm really excited about this podcast um, and I'm delighted to welcome Tracy Seacombe to join us. Tracy, always love having you with us on Profitable Farmer. How are you? I'm very well, Jeremy. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you. Tracy is our head trainer to our coaching team at FOA, is director at FOA and um, focused intently on our community wellbeing and our team's wellbeing and is the founder to the Soul Pleaser program, which we'll talk more about as we move through this podcast. But always wonderful to have Tracy with us. In the last podcast, I spoke about resilience and shared my backstory on my personal journey of resilience. In the next podcast and the one after, I'm interviewing a couple of remarkable women like Tracy on this topic um, and different angles of it, because I genuinely feel like it can support so many of us just to check in with where we're at on this topic and to explore how we can change our thinking our beliefs, our mindset, our environment to help us, you know, just just look to strengthen on the topic of resilience. And so, Tracy, perhaps just to kick us off, what's your view on how you do resilience and then even how you see yourself helping so many of our farming community to check in on this and, and seek to be more resilient within themselves? I absolutely love this question. And when you said the word resilience, the first thing that comes to my mind is my husband, Damien. I think there are some people who are naturally resilient, and then I think some of us need to learn it. And so that's why we were the perfect match when we met, because he was naturally resilient and I had to learn it, which I think makes me a good teacher because I can actually really empathise and understand the person who isn't naturally resilient. So for me, my definition of resilience is steady. And what comes to mind for me is this visual of a huge ship, you know, a big Pacific liner um, in the ocean, and then beside it you have a little dinghy. And so when the waters are calm, people in the dinghy are happy, people on the ship are happy. And when the waters become rough, people on the ship are still happy, people in the dinghy, not so much. And I think that resilience is being able to stay steady when things get rocky. And some of us, depending on our conditioning, our upbringing, our personality, get rocked really easily. And I think that when you're building resilience, you're building the ability to be able to become very aware very quickly of the fact that your feelings or your emotions have shifted because of whatever's happened and to be able to do something about it. So personal growth to me is closing the gap between how quickly you notice that you've had a reaction, you've been triggered by something, and how quickly you can turn that around and start to feel differently about it. Speed of self-correction. I love that, Tracy. Thank you. So how does one start out as a dinghy and move towards being the oil tanker? 
<laughs> yeah, well, for me, my personal journey, which is the same now as what I teach other people, is that first of all, I had to become aware of why I was so reactive. So why was he calm and level-headed and why was I feeling emotional emotions so strongly? So I can get really super excited, but I could equally get into catastrophe mode very quickly and spiral. And so for me, what I realized is that um, my emotions were very conditional. So if things were going my way, I felt really good. And that was based on being a people pleaser and a perfectionist because my self-worth was attached to things going well, me doing a good job, people recognizing I was doing a good job, people being pleased with me, other people's emotions being, you know, good so that I felt like I was taking good care of them or saying the right things to them. So there was all of these conditions on what made me feel good. And it was proportional to my sense of self, which was very dependent on circumstances and other people because most circumstances are related to other people. And so even when I think because I've worked with farmers now for five years, even when it's a weather change, it's still about other people because if the flow and effective is, oh, no, there's no rain, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to get the crop in, oh, no, I'm not going to make a profit, oh, no, what will people think? Like as you go further and further down the rabbit warren, you can see that we are influenced by other people's emotions about us um, or even not about us. And so I had to become aware of that. I had to realise that that was the reason. Um, I remember thinking years ago before I wrote the book that I have written that I was going to write a book saying, um, am I good enough yet? <laughs> because that's what I felt like my life was about, was chasing the next achievement to prove myself and then I could consistently feel good. But that's never going to be the case. Unless you feel good enough right now, you're always going to be at the whim of what changes. And that was the difference between Damien, the tanker ship, and me, the little dinghy, going around in circles out in the rough ocean, was that he just is very comfortable in his own skin. He doesn't have a big ego. He doesn't think he's better than other people. He just likes who he is and he's comfortable with who he is. He also strives to always improve. He doesn't, you know, have this arrogance like I don't need to change, but he doesn't question himself and he doesn't try to prove himself. And so I didn't realise that I was learning from him, but I really believed I attracted him into my life as that example. And I think that we can all change how we feel about ourselves and become less and less conditional um, about um what happens in our lives and how we react to those circumstances. Do you feel like someone like Damien has always been that way or do you think um, there have been some chapters of his earlier life where he'd learned this um, on his journey? Would you comment? I think it's probably a combination of both, but I've thought about this a lot because of the work that I'm in and I think about how stable his upbringing was his parents were um, very Catholic and have, had a very strong faith. And so they felt very, very grateful for very little. And so he watched his dad, you know, have two jobs and his mum had to give up her work as soon as she got married because that was the rule in Ireland at the time. 
And so she, you know, was just a very steady mum. But they were sent on to the off to the street, you know, like they didn't, the house was tiny. So the four boys were sent out to the street to play and came back for food. So they had to fend for themselves, you know, they weren't wrapped in cotton wool. And he tells this story about one day when some tough boys at school sort of approached him. He was much smaller than them and younger than them. So he just ran up, and I'm not condoning violence. <laughs> he just ran up to them and punched one of them, you know, punched one of them, and they never went near him again. But what he did in that moment is said, I believe in myself. Don't bother trying to intimidate me. And I just think that was the opposite to me because I have a story like that. I was at school when I was in year 10 and a girl came up and punched me in the face and I just sat there and cried and it just added to my I'm not good enough message. And so I just think that it was a combination of really stable upbringing, really um, no nonsense and no wrapped up in cotton wool, but equally there was no pressure on him to prove himself in any way. Nobody was pushing him to do anything. He could be who he wanted to be. Tracy, I take your point. I feel like I've got an elder brother in Jono who um, we've grown up in exactly the same family, same household, same farm that I shared about in the last podcast, um, same environments, yet he seems to be that steady, strong, stable and always has been. Um, yeah. And equally, Jane, I've obviously attracted her into my reality as well because she um, has had her own adversity in her background, um, losing her mum at a young age, but just seems so strong and steady for her backstory. It's so interesting that some people um, have this and others need to work on it. Jim Rowan, I think it was, I remember listening to one of his books, Tracy, and he talked about internal locus of control versus external locus of control that some people are so comfortable within themselves that that their sense of self and their sense of esteem and their sense of control comes from within yeah whereas others do look at relationships and situations and the weather and those things and have an external locus of control would you speak to that have you heard that reference before I haven't heard it said like that, but that's exactly what I agree with. And the main point that I'd like to make for people listening is that if you're not the one like your wife and, and my husband already, that Jeremy, Jeremy and I are examples of the fact that you can change. Um, and the same with the clients in Farm Owners Academy and in Soul Pleaser is that just because we are a certain way and it might be because we were born that way, we had a tendency to be that way. I have a theory that um, while I was being carried by my mum, so what I believe is that when we're actually in uterus, we feel like we're a part of our mothers. So we are taking on board her thoughts and, you know, what she's like. Um, now, you know, that can be debunked by the example of your brother, you know, being different to you. Um, but for whatever reason, us having a tendency to take that on board and, my mum had a lot of insecurities and really looked for validation outside of herself. And I sort of grew, grew up mimicking that. But I've completely changed because I decided to. And I would even go further as to say that I was meant to come in and experience that low self-esteem and overcome it so that I could teach it. Um, and 
for anybody listening who would like to overcome a low self-worth and have more self-confidence, you don't have to become a teacher. That doesn't need to be the reason that you do it. But we make a big impact on everybody around us. So if you're a mother or a daughter or a friend or, you know, a husband or or a father, you are going to make a difference to other people by recognising this in yourself and making that change. So, Tracy, Soul Pleaser, the program, and, and helping people move from people pleaser to soul pleaser, I think absolutely the outcome of that program is that it helps people to be more comfortable within themselves and more resilient. Um, what are some of the mindsets that you see us all have that can have us comparing ourselves or, or looking externally at other people and pleasing others, and how can that in a sense, undermine our self-esteem and ultimately our resilience? Well, I think it's just skewed messages that you've picked up along the way where, you know, if I look at the signs of people-pleasing within a family dynamic, one of the things that can happen when we're growing up is that we can watch a parent's mood and we can either ignore it if we have Damien's personality and just think, you know, he used to joke and say, mum's going through the change. <laughs> so he never, ever related her mood back to himself. Or you can be a child where you hate it when your parent's in a bad mood and you take it personally. So I think if we have this mindset of where we are responsible, we've grown up where we feel in some way responsible for the feedback that we get um, and the emotions that people have, then we become like that ourselves. And so we're hard on ourselves, we judge ourselves, then we're setting out to prove ourselves. And so this type of mindset means that our emotions will be up and down depending on what other people say and do and the circumstances around us. So I think it's that mindset that we develop, we, it's just an interpretation. It's all it is. I like to keep it really simple so that people don't think it's hard to change because in any moment, your reality is your perception of what's going on and two people can be experiencing exactly the same thing and it's a different reality for each of them because of the way they perceive it. So what's the opportunity for people that do um, take on how other people are feeling and spend time worrying about what other people are thinking and trying to please others, what's the opportunity um, for them in stepping away from that? Well, the first step is definitely to become aware of it. So what you want to do is, first of all, become aware of your emotions because our emotions are our litmus test. It's our radar or our way of signaling to us what we're thinking. It's very difficult to track your thoughts. We thought we think so constantly and so quickly. And the, the main thing to understand is it feels like, and people even use this language, he made me feel or that made me feel as though it was event and then feeling. But they've missed a really important step in that loop, which is that happened. I thought this and what I thought was the cause of the emotion. And so the emotion is the first sort of awareness that you get that you're not feeling good. And so this is the thing that I think is so difficult for people. When I lived in my head 
and I was pushing myself. I used to say that I was a high achiever, but after delivering training last week to the Platinum Mastermind members on perfectionism, I realized that there's a difference between perfectionism and a high achiever. And the perfectionism, perfectionist is trying to prove themselves and wants to be perfect so that other people approve. Whereas a high achiever is just achieving and they're okay if they don't quite meet the mark. But when I was pushing so hard all the time, I had lost sight of my emotions and I'd got really good at pushing them down and hiding them and pretending everything was okay because that was part of my image to the outside world. I've got it all going on. I can cope with this. Yes, I'm running three businesses and I've got three kids, but look at me, I'm fine. And everyone's like, wow, how do you do it? And that just was like another thing to make me feel like I was getting it all right. Whereas on the inside, I was really suffering. So the first thing is to validate your emotions and start to tune in and notice what your emotions are. When I when I asked the men in Soul Pleaser for Men, how, did, how do you feel? They tell me about what they did. I'm like, that's not what I'm asking you. They, they just don't even have the language to describe their emotions. So if this is you and you can't put a word on how you're feeling, just try to bring your attention out of your mind and on your thoughts into your body and see what you can feel in your body. So it might be um, a churning in your stomach or your heart might be you know, pulsating quite quickly or you might feel tight in your shoulders and then you might think, well, I feel a bit anxious or I feel a bit worried or I feel a bit disappointed or I feel a bit let down. Um, and even just starting to explore some of that language so that you can understand what it is. Then once you know what you feel, you want to ask yourself, what am I thinking about this situation that is causing me to feel this way? Rather than going, I feel like this because we haven't had rain or, you know, let's be relevant about today. I've had too much rain. You know, it's not the rain that's causing you to feel it. It's what you think about it. And interestingly, if we can bring us into this very present moment, rarely is it a thought about the moment we're in right now that's causing the emotion. We're either reflecting on something that went wrong or we're worrying about what's going to happen in the future. And that's what causes our emotions. So bringing ourselves back to the moment and being present and, you know, watching our breathing, slowing it down, those sorts of things can deflect that. So I was thinking as you were talking about that um, oil tanker um, concept, and I use the identity iceberg concept in rough waters when we are feeling the impact of flood or drought or um, illness in family or um, any other adversity. It is so common that we have those emotions come up, but then we label the situation as good or bad. Um, and then if it's a bad situation, then we let that um, check or impact our resilience Tracy, um, one of the things I see you do often is help people reframe that there's an opportunity or there's good in adversity and that maybe this is for you, um, not happening to you. Would you mind just speaking to, to that? Because I, I now, with the deeper work that I've done, kind of get that there's no such thing as good or bad. Um, you know, 
Sure, we have droughts. Sure, we have adversity. But maybe these are tests or challenges to help us play at a different level or to see life in a different way. And, and we can learn from um, situations in our environment, whether they are good in adverted commas or bad. Would you mind speaking to that? Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is what we came for. Like, the challenges are absolutely what we came to experience. We would get bored. I think people, you know, question that when they feel like they've had a long stint of challenges. When I say you would get bored if you were never challenged because we love the growth. You know, I really believe that we are growth-seeking beings and we love expansion and we love growing. And what really ties into resilience and being steady and being calm is being who we want to be. And so when we observe ourselves frantic, anxious, worried, or feeling helpless, the reason it feels so uncomfortable is because it's not who we want to be. And so when we um, are faced with a challenge, this is how I approach it now. So when something doesn't go the way I thought it was going to go, um, I'm like, excellent. This is my springboard. I'm about to have another growth spurt. You know, just when I thought life couldn't get any better, it's about to get even better because I know on reflection that that's what always happens. What precedes the next wonderful thing that changes in my life is something that feels a little bit tough at the time. And if we can see that, you know, it's it's just like going to the gym. If you lift weights that don't hurt your muscles, you'll never get stronger. It has to hurt. It has to feel uncomfortable. There has to be post-workout soreness. Otherwise, the muscles don't grow. And it's exactly the same with experiences in life. So whenever something that I'm going through, I'm like, the first thing I say is this is for me. I'm excited to see what's going to come out of this. The second thing I do. Well, and, and secondly, I also know because I've realized this is that I'm going to get asked a question by one of my clients. And because of this experience, I will have a really good answer. So that's the other reason I think I go through it too, um, so that I can really relate to somebody else. Um, but the, the second thing I do is go, how can I look at this differently? So first of all, I know it's for me. Um, I can't see it yet but I know that I will see the opportunity and the only way I can let the inspiration of the solution to come to me is to relax because our primal self reacts to stress by getting into the fight or flight response as if we're either going to fight something off or run away from it. Our challenges rarely require that from us now, really. You know, if there's a fire, yes, you take action, heart rate goes up, you need all of that, adrenaline, all of those things. But pretty much everything else, we're not doing that. We're not having that reaction. We're having it all in our head. And so our muscles, are all the blood is somewhere other than in our head, <laughs> which is where we need it because of the fight or flight response. So becoming calm and relaxed is the most important thing you can do. And it feels really counterintuitive. It feels like denial. Um, you know, we've been told to face your problems, face up to reality, face your problems, you know, don't run and hide. 
And I'm not suggesting that you run and hide, but if you can distract yourself for long enough, relax for long enough, go for a walk, take a, take a few deep breaths. If you if you like meditation, meditate. If you like gardening, do some gardening. But do something that gets you into a relaxed state. And I promise you that you will receive the clarity of what the next step is for you to take that will solve whatever the issue is that you're in the middle of. It's a really refreshing way to self-manage adversity that is coming our way. And I think to your point, in entrepreneurship and in family um, and in farming, um, it's not that we should expect hardship to come our way, but we should be ready for it. It is part of what we've signed up for in this life. And um, there are going to be challenges, but it's how we respond to those challenges, I think, that define just how resilient we are. And so to have you reflect on those comments, this is for me. It's not happening to me. It's happening for me. Um, what can I learn from this? And then, yeah, to relax and let time and space play out so that we're not in fight or flight. We're actually engaging all of our mind and all of our spirit in our response. I think that's wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. So the next part of this, Tracy, that I wanted to ask you about and get your input on is how important is family to how resilient I feel? And there's a few angles to this. One is if I've grown up in a family where there's anxiety and criticism and, you know, um, oh, you know, even hostility. Like if I've had a, a less than positive upbringing, how can that impact my resilience? But equally, if I've had that stability and that steadiness and I've learned those good resilience habits growing up, um, what would you say to the impact of, of our family dynamic on how we might be arriving into this whole theme of resilience? Well, I think that most of us are highly influenced by our family. There are a few exceptions to the rule as well. And some of those people have, you know, if they did have a challenging family, have left their family and don't spend a lot of time with them. But you and I work with farmers and a lot of farmers have a generational farm. And so they're not just um, family, they're also working together in some way. So that can be the case. And I think the reason that we are so influenced in our level of skills with resilience by our family is because when we are around our family, it is the same environment and the same people, and therefore it reflects how we were when we were younger. And so we're more likely to default to some of our reactional behaviours when we're around our family than we are when we're not. I've had farmers tell me that um, oh, when I went away to university, I was completely myself and, you know, it was like I was a new person and then I came back to the farm and I feel like I've regressed and I've gone back to the kid I was, you know, when I lived at home. And that's because our environment, you know, has that energy and we're back around the energy of those people that we grew up with. So we're very influenced if we're the dinghy, you know, we're very influenced by the people around us. But if we've learned to know who we are, be who we want to be, become very solid as ourselves, we can still stand within that family and be ourselves. But it takes that real resolve to do that. 
um, and some open communication about that rather than coming back and just fitting in and doing what you think is expected of you because that's the way you used to be when you were younger. So I can relate to this and absolutely um, when there's conflict or hostility in our family when I'm back at Christmas and, you know, it was so easy as a younger adult that when I arrived home from uni, as you say, or from corporate, that I went back to child and mum and dad were still playing adult. Um, and even amongst my brothers, I went back to being the youngest brother. Um, I think it's taken time for me now to arrive to my relationships with my brothers and with mum and dad, where no matter what the situation, I'm going to stay adult. And I now require of you know others in my family for them just to respect me in that way and for us to have a dialogue that is constructive adult to adult. Um, I do see a lot of farming families where this hasn't been resolved, Tracy, and when there's hostility or when there's adversity or conflict, there's stress on relationships, that the younger generation reverts back to child and that the older generation presume that they can be the adult in that dynamic. And I just feel like if people are going through big conversations around things like succession, um, but there is that dynamic of the younger generation being child and the older generation being adult, that that it's probably going to lend to a less than constructive outcome. What, what would you say to people who um, feel like there is that dynamic at play in how they're going about farming family business? Well, I think that we have to shift our whole concept of it. I think that we have an old-fashioned idea, um, in my opinion, um, about the parent-child relationship in the first place. And so if we can reframe that I think that we can reframe the way that we show up to each other um, once we're adults with our parents. So um, if we redefine the role of a parent and we think of it as we are friends who want the best for each other and love each other, um, and I want to introduce here my definition of love. So my definition of love is freedom. So to love someone is to accept them fully as they are and what is best for them is what they want. So I think the biggest mistake we make as parents is thinking we know what's best for our children. When they're young, the best thing we can do is offer them opportunities to try things and see what they like and tell them that that's the purpose of it, is to enjoy it, not to be the best at it. And if they enjoy it, they'll naturally get better at it. So if we were to start like that, for those people who are parents now of young children and parent that way, then I think that, you know, we can continue to develop that type of relationship as we get older and our children become adults. But once our children are adults, again, they are people we love and they may be business partners or employees in the farming example, again, people we love. So what I would suggest that you do as the parent is seek really to get to know them. What lights them up? What are they naturally good at? What are their dreams and aspirations? Be their biggest cheerleader. Let them be them and, and you be yourself. And so if the parent and the child, two adults, can both do that, I think it's never too late. 
I think we can always reconcile. Um, I was listening to an interview this morning um, between Oprah Winfrey and The Rock, and it was soon after his dad died, and he said he never got to say what he wanted to say to him because his dad had challenges as a parent, but he was a really good friend. And it's just a limiting belief. It's a limiting belief that there is something different about the relationship just because they're your parent. If you could look at them as somebody you love and look past all of that judgment about perhaps what you perceive are the mistakes they've made in the past and really choose to love your parent or your child, son or daughter, no matter what age, as a friend, look for the good in them. Do what you would do in a relationship with with a friend that you really love. I think that will really shift things and adults will be treated like adults and act like adults. It's not just that a parent treats an adult child like a child. It's also that they are attracting that from the parent because they still feel like they're trying to live up to their parents' expectations. I love that definition. and treating each other um, with deep respect as friends, you know, and I think how we treat our friends sometimes is fundamentally different to how we treat our family. You also speak to making people right, not wrong. I think it's so easy, isn't it, Um, as the parent or the child in a family business to make the other person wrong for, as you say, mistakes they've made in the past or the way they think about situations or whatever. So how how can we let go of that attachment to making people wrong, um, letting people be okay for the mistakes they've made and and some of those constructs, um, maybe it's ego that has us want to make people wrong within our family dynamic. What would you say is the thing that we need to let go of in order to show each other within a family dynamic, that deep love and that deep respect, as we often do our closest friends? Well, in answer to the question, what do we need to let go of? I think we need to let go of expectations, unreasonable expectations um, and judgment. So what the thing that come always come back to, what really have I got control over? You cannot change another person. And you can't make another person do something or feel something. What you have got control over is what you do, who you're being and how you show up. And the really interesting thing is once I've made that my focus, that's really for my own personal journey from people pleaser to soul pleaser, the big shift for me has been who do I want to be? And that's what I ask myself before I make a choice. It's not, you know, am I too tired to do this or, you know, it's, it's, should I do this because, you know, it's good for them. It's who do I want to be in relationship to this? And what I've realized is that the more you ask yourself that, the more you receive the answers that I believe are answers in alignment with your true essence. And our true essence is loving, kind, accepting, generous, and blessing. And I think accepting is the key. If we can just accept people where they're at, um, it means that we can still speak our truth. 
but we have to accept somebody else's truth as well and accept that we won't always agree. And that's why nobody is right or wrong, is if we can accept that we have different opinions, even if we're in the same family, and that one person, you know, thinks that this is the best way and another thinks this is the other, then when it comes to a business situation, it's just all about people being in the right positions in the org chart so that the person who is good at making those decisions for the business sake can make it. But from a family point of view, it's allowing our parents to do what they want and it's allowing our children to do what they want. There's so many layers to that, Tracy. Um, Arriving to a family relationship without judgment um, and accepting and letting there be different views on a situation. I've heard that concept that we don't have to agree to be aligned. And if we're all in complete agreement, sometimes perhaps there's no need for leadership. Um, I think people often think that because we're not agreeing to a situation, therefore we're not aligned and therefore something's wrong. But we want um, opposition and difference of views and those things. But I think what we've got to do where there is a difference of view and a difference of opinion on a situation or a decision is to love and accept and not judge the other people in our family for having a different opinion or a different view on a situation or a decision. Is that is that what you're saying? Yeah. And the other thing that I've discovered from my clients is that they are afraid that they're not going to get the outcome they want because a family member has a different point of view about how to go about it. This is really big in family business, um, even when it's just husband and wife who are running the farm together, for example, is that they come to Farm Owners Academy and they get all of these great ideas and one of them wants to stick to what they're already doing and the other one wants to implement change. And what I say to the person who's frustrated with the other person who isn't ready to change is the reason that you're so worried about this is because you think that they can control you creating your own reality. And that isn't true. So we start to wobble because we think they're going to get in the way of me getting what I want and nobody else can do that. So if you take full responsibility, then you will continue to focus on what you can do um, rather than using that as your excuse to not feel good and not continue to be inspired and take the action towards your goals. Sometimes you're not going to be going down the exact same path, but it's not going to reflect on you if you stay steady. So without naming a name, can you speak to a practical example of that, Tracy? Can you think of one of our client situations where there's been different views, people wanting to go in different directions and that there was a, um, they were stuck because of that and they were probably in conflict and challenging each other and making each other wrong and now there's the other view where they've they've gone about the same conversations in a different way and achieved a different outcome? Yeah, lots of examples, actually. So usually it's just a slight tweak in processes. Um, you know, it might be that they have got a few enterprises and they need to simplify down to one or, you know, there's, there's lots of different examples from a practical point of view. But ultimately, the person that is holding on is usually the person who feels like 
a failure because somebody has pointed out there's a better way. And so they're kind of embarrassed to have to admit, wow, I've been doing it this way for years. And now you're telling me that I should drop that or stop doing that or introduce that. So rather than seeing it as a wonderful opportunity and a great, you know, blessing for them to be receiving this information and being having this opportunity to change, there's a part of them that feels like they want to be right and a part of them that doesn't want to feel like they've failed by changing. Um, And the shift just comes really when the partner who's been niggling them and niggling them and really making them feel worse by continuing to, you know, get cross with them and tell them, you know, we need to change, we need to change. My advice to them is to allow them to come to that conclusion themselves, that you're just making it worse by trying to push them when they're not ready. And what you're doing is putting too much attention on the problem rather than getting on the vibration of the solution and feeling how you would feel if this had already been solved. And so quite often in this example, this person that's been pushing for the other one to change will just let it go. They will just have a break from it, not give it any attention, go off and focus on something else that's really joyful, start being much nicer to their partner. And then that partner starts to change and practically says, I've got an idea. And it's exactly the idea that the other person's been trying to introduce for all that time. You just sometimes have to let people find their own way there, trying to rather than trying to push it and make it happen. There's actually real leadership in that, isn't there? Yeah, that's part of acceptance is to accept people where they're at. Um, A sayer, I can't remember who said this, but if, if they knew better, they would do better. So there's no point in trying to push somebody who's just not ready to make that change. Do what you can do yourself. Um, but, yeah, stop pushing the other person to make a change they're not ready for. So just to speak to that a little bit more, um, I have heard Oprah say that she has a quote on her wall and it's the one thing she really focuses on before she goes into on stage or into any major situation. And that's, it's that I own the energy that I bring to this space. Yeah. Um, and I love that concept and I've learned this through Marshall Thurber and I, I try and live by this as often as I can, that for things to change first, I, I must change. Yeah. So, so when our situation isn't where we think it should be with, a, with someone else in our family or whatever, Um, What do you mean by um, changing the energy that I bring to this? So um, it's how you feel about it. It's your perception of it, which is causing your feeling of it. So in the example I just shared, the thought was he's stubborn, he's wrong, he won't change, he's going to make us go broke. And all of those words feel awful. So she's feeling awful because that's the way she's thinking. And so she softly started to think, I'm open to believing in abundance. I'm open to positively expecting him to, in his own time, find a better way. And just being softer with it and being optimistic and having hope rather than feeling emotions that are tied into despair. This is never going to get any better. And, and blame, you know, and not taking any responsibility, um, which is really important. If we can say, okay, what part am I playing in this? 
well, I'm driving him mad by nagging him all the time. (laughs) That's one part that I'm playing. You know, could I be kinder? Could I be more grateful for the fact that even though I think he's doing it the wrong way, he has good intentions? You know, I think the two things that we can control whenever we deliver a message to somebody else is our intention behind the message and our delivery. So when we want to approach a family member, for example, and share to them our values, what's important to us, our opinion, I always recommend an intention of sharing what's true for you rather than the intention of convincing somebody else to agree with you. And so if you go in the, just for the intention of them being able to understand your point of view, and you deliver it with love and kindness and openness and also being open to listen to their point of view. And this is how I've seen relationships resolve is through people coming with that intention and that delivery. And so you need to really work on your vibration or how you feel, so the emotional feeling that you have before you approach that. It makes all the difference in the world. How does your soul pleaser program help with this, Tracy. I know having done it, that it's helped me um, make meaningful change in a lot of really close family relationships in my reality, because I got to become aware of, um, accept at a whole new level and, and take some responsibility for my part in relationships. But would you mind sharing even why you created People Pleaser to Soul Pleaser and how it's designed to help people to strengthen these relationships and, as a result, be more resilient? Uh, yeah. So when when my mum died in 2016, I first of all realised that she just drove herself to the grave because she put everybody else first, like everybody, not just family, extended family, friends, friends of friends, every other human came before her. And so this whole idea of being selfless and being a martyr is quite generational and I find it more prevalent in rural areas. Um, My mum grew up in Cummins, a very small farming community, and then I grew up in Port Lincoln, which was, you know, a mid-sized town close by. And so she was always worried about what the neighbours thought, always worried about our behaviour down the street, you know, when you're in the shop. Like we didn't speak, we didn't, we didn't say a word, you know, um, because we were terrified of getting really in trouble when we got home if, in case we embarrassed mum in front of, you know, whoever was in the shop. And so I think that this can be a side effect of being in a small community and everybody knowing each other. And so I'm working with a lot of rural people who deep down are worried about what other people think. And when we're worried about what other people think, it doesn't allow us to be ourselves. And so this is causing our automated behaviour. So when we're not getting what we want, it's because our habits are happening automatically from our patterns or our beliefs rather than us consciously choosing what to think, what to feel, and therefore what to say and what to do. And you can become conscious some of the time and consciously choose what to do, but most of the time you're going to have a knee-jerk reaction. And so what happens in the from People Pleaser to Soul Pleaser program is you become aware of why you react the way you react. Like you can get very frustrated with yourself. Like a classic example is 
hating criticism. So this is a big symptom of a people pleaser. We hate to be criticised because we take it personally. So rather than seeing it as really helpful feedback, we see it as an attack on us personally and we hate it. And so when you become aware of that and you start to change the cause of that and you start to accept who you are, love who you are, be who you choose to be, then somebody can say exactly the same thing they would have said to you a year ago and you'd be like, yeah, fair enough. Okay, I'm going to give that a go and have no negative emotion attached to it. And so, you know, what I see from the soul pleasers is that they start to authentically be themselves. They're so much happier. The people around them are happier. Do you know, as people pleasers, everybody walks around on eggshells around us because they know that we're easily triggered and our emotions are up and down. So it's not just exhausting for us. It's actually exhausting for our loved ones as well. So, um, yeah, giving up people pleasing and becoming a soul pleaser is not just good for you, but it's good for everybody around you. Plus, as a parent, it's wonderful to model this change to your kids. It's never too late for you to have a transformation and for your kids to witness that because it's an opportunity for them to not grow up and be people pleasers as well. So a couple of questions. Um, how do you see this impacting rural women? Um, equally, you now run a Soul Pleaser program for men, which I've been part of, and it's wonderful to have men opening up, um, communicating more openly, checking in with their feelings and then putting thinking around those feelings. It's, it's quite amazing the impact that your program is having on men as well. Would you mind just speaking to, to what you're seeing, its impact for rural women and then also for rural men? Yeah, so starting with the women, the first thing I see is that they see their existing life without it changing through completely new eyes. So the life that they used to complain about, they come back and say, oh, my goodness, I love this, I love this, I love this. You know, they see their garden as if it's the most wonderful garden they've ever seen before and they haven't necessarily changed it. The same with their family, you know, their friends, the community, their life. You know, they just become deeply grateful and, and just love what is. The next thing you see is one by one, starting with the easiest, their relationships get a really deep connection and so much better. Um, and then they'll work their way through. So one example comes to mind where, first of all, you know, the relationship that blossomed for her was with her preteen daughter. They are so close now, you know, instead of her snapping at her mum all the time, you know, she's away at boarding school, always connecting with her. They're just so close. Um, and then now, she, now she's working on it with her husband and they're getting closer and closer. Um, you see it with their livelihood, their passion, their purpose, so they may have given up their dreams of doing what they really want to do because they had become the farmer's wife. They were doing the books, even if they didn't want to. They were, you know, out opening and shutting the gates or whatever needs to be done. And something in them that was creative, that was inspiring for them had been pushed to the side. And they start to do those things that they love. Um, Nano won't mind me mentioning her. She comes to mind. Um, Leanne, who did my Soul Pleaser program a few years ago, was the principal of a school. And she always had a passion in her to be a teacher because she loves children and she loves seeing them blossom. 
After doing Soul Pleaser, she wanted to teach the principles of Soul Pleaser to kids and she founded it for Calm Kids. Nano, well before she met me and well before she met Leanne, wanted to help kids um, with resilience in farming communities. So she comes to a Soul Pleaser retreat, she meets Leanne, she gets funding and the two of them have been on tour around rural New South Wales teaching resilience to kids. You know, like that sort of flow on effect just completely lights me up. I'm just so excited to see, you know, that sort of outcome. And that's through Nano coming to me with no self-confidence, absolute scarcity mindset, like in anxiety all the time to this blossoming, happy, beautiful, confident person who wrote the applications, got the funding and went on tour and delivered that with Leanne, like... To me, that is an incredible transformation. So that's an example with the women. And then an example with the men, wow. So the men men cry in front of each other and don't apologise for it. Um, They say what they mean. They can talk about their emotions. They um, have the confidence to completely change what they're doing in their business and do what they really want to do. Um, Some of them break up a business partnership, for example, because they haven't been happy for years and they go off and get their own farm and start again. Um, They're really being themselves. They're really, after years and years, they're reconciling relationships with their wives, with their kids. They're spending more time with their kids, with their fathers quite often, reconciling and completely accepting and loving their parents just as they are. Um, We've had succession things that have been stalled for 20 years go through because they've let go of the resistance towards it. Um, Incredible. It all starts at the emotional level and the way that they think, and then the evidence shows up in what's actually happening in their lives. Isn't that amazing, Tracy? that when we work on ourselves, then we go about doing different things and getting then different results? Um, so often we're trying to change everything that's going on out there rather than focusing on what needs to change in here. And to your point, I can think of so many examples of men and women in our community who have just had transformational change for going through the Soul Pleaser program. And you know, you've named a couple, but there are just so many more, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. It was really interesting. The other day I was talking to a lady who was about to join Soul Pleaser and um, Cheryl Freak, who is one of our fantastic coaches as well um, at Farm Owners Academy, she was one of the first um, farmers to do Soul Pleaser. And she said to um, this lady that when she's in the room at a Farm Owners Academy event, she can see who's done the Soul Pleaser program um, by the light in their face. And that just gave me goosebumps because you can feel it. You can feel the change. And I think that, you know, the combination of what we learn at Farm Owners Academy and Soul Pleaser is incredibly life-changing. I think you do need to know the practical things as well. And of course, we, you know, we concentrate a lot on mindset in Farm Owners Academy anyway. Um, But if anybody feels like they could be happier, um, yeah, I think there's a whole new level available to you um, through the combination of Soul Pleaser as well. Well said. Tracy. how do you feel about the impact you see your program and your contribution to FOA making? Uh, uh, actually, 
am crying <laughs> for people that can't see the video in response to that question. Yeah, I'm just so grateful. I'm so grateful that I sat on a plane next to Andrew Roberts a month after my mum died, you know. I mean, that's really why I'm here and I think mum probably sent him to me because mum grew up, grew up in a farming community and I wasn't not going to come up with this idea on my own um, and I'm so welcomed into the farming community and farmers are beautiful people, beautiful people. I wanted to try and find an opportunity at some point to acknowledge you, Tracy, for that impact that you've had. Um, you know, you were our first coach at Farm Owners Academy before I was part of this project and we now have a team of, I think, seven or eight business coaches all supporting farmers and your um, contribution to them in helping them be at their best as humans as they arrive to help our farming community is incredible. Um, but beyond that, the impact through what you teach to our broader community, it is it is truly world-class and it's absolutely incredible. I didn't quite predict that this was going to be the moment when I did get to acknowledge you, but, you know, on behalf of Greg and Robbo and Sam and our whole community, um, yeah, I can't thank you enough for the contribution that you make every day to changing the lives of farming men and women, um, making relationships better, making succession better, um, you know, just on so many levels, um, through FOA and through Soul Pleaser. Um, we're just so lucky to have you part of our world and part of our community and just thank you sincerely for all you do. Oh, thank you so much. I feel like it's, um, it's much bigger than me. Um, and I feel grateful to be a part of it. So thank you. Thanks, Tracy. The one final question, and I do ask this occasionally, um, on the topic of resilience, what would you say to a younger self? I would say, don't worry, it's all going to be okay. <laughs> because, and probably to me specifically, I would say you don't have to try so hard. You're actually doing a good job. Um, you're at your best when you're laughing. So just do more of that. Because <laughs> I think I lost my innocence a bit. You know, I can kind of picture the turning point when I lived in the country town of Port Lincoln and I was giggly, like I was a giggly, you know, I was still, a, I was still like an A grade student and a good girl, but I was giggly and happy. And then when I got to boarding school, I started to take life a bit too seriously and try too hard. In fact, Ainsley, who won't mind me saying, got the try hard award at school. <laughs> she told us at a soul pleaser retreat. And I just laughed my head off. I thought that sums it up, you know. Just don't try so hard. Just relax, chill out. Your dreams will come true. Just keep being happy and doing what feels good. Last question, Tracy. What would be your final comment? And there's been so many wonderful insights in this conversation. Um, I've written four pages of notes. Um, what would you say to someone who feels like they're in a family environment that isn't supporting them, the relationships aren't where they would want them to be, um, and they're feeling like that is impacting their ability to be as resilient as they want to be as humans, what would you say to them? 
I would say that first of all, get some clarity on what's important to you. I think sometimes when you're in that situation, you have got so used to fighting in a sense, you know, where you don't feel like you're fitting in or being heard, that you've started to lose sight of what's really important to you. So open up your journal and just start to write to yourself, this is my, this is, these are my values. This is what I really care about. This is what is important to me. This is what I love. This is what I'd love to do. These are my dreams. These are my aspirations. And then depending on the relationship, you could either write a letter and share that with your family, or if you feel confident enough, you could get yourself into a very relaxed state and sit down and tell them and say, this is not for any outcome except for me sharing with you how I feel. And just let them know, you'd be surprised. When I reflect on the changes I've seen in families, it's been through improved communication and people not being able to read each other's minds. I think we make a lot of assumptions about what we think other people think and we don't know what they think and they don't often know how we really feel. Um, so I think, you know, without any blaming, without any, you know, pointing the finger, just absolute honesty about what you really feel, um, that is going to be the starting point of change. What a way to finish. As always, Tracy, it's just such a privilege to have you on this podcast and to be able to connect. Thank you so much for your time and for some incredible insights. Um, I'm going to encourage people to listen to this one two or three times because there's so many layers to what we've just spoken about. Um, I hope that's been helpful for you. Tracy. as always, thank you so much. Thanks, Jeremy. And so there you have it, ladies and gents. You can probably see now why Tracy is just so loved in our community and is such an incredible um, lead coach to us, coach trainer, and um, why she is so passionate about, you know, focusing on the well-being of our broader community. Tracy's an incredible person and we're so lucky to have her in our community. Um, so many topics covered letting go of judgment, letting go of ego, not making family members wrong, um, embracing family as true friends that we want to have deeper relationships with. Um, yeah, as I say, I've just got so many, so many notes that I'm a way to reflect on on the back of that conversation. I hope that you do as well. Um, and just in finishing, to the blokes out there that might not have opened up to this, um, you know, a lot of us have been through school, maybe uni, ag, college, and, you know, we've probably played a bit of footy and, you know, we've been in a, you know, we've been in a, a very heady reality where, um, you know, we think we've just got to crack on and win and push our emotions down and get on with things. Um, I just want to encourage you to just consider what we've just talked about a little more openly and, and to try it on. Um, there is a different way to live life and I feel like farming men and women uh, is open to this um, different way of living, a, a new consciousness, if you like, um, now more than we have been. Um, just reflect on this podcast, listen to it again a couple of times. I think it frames up my next podcast with Maria Roberto beautifully where she's going to offer us the neuroscience um, 
and the psychology of resilience. And so we're going to keep on this thing. But um, with all that said, I, I can't recommend Tracy's Soul Pleaser program highly enough. So, you know, for people who do want to explore this topic of resilience more intently and for people who do want to fundamentally improve um, relationships with loved ones and family and friends, um, it is an incredible program. And as you've heard, it has an amazing impact. I think the FOA programs combined with the Soul Pleaser programs um, support, support farming families and individuals on farms really strongly, especially around this mindset and resilience piece. So, Tracy, thanks again. Always great to connect. To all of you, take care and look forward to checking in again shortly. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Profitable Farmer podcast by Farm Owners Academy. If you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a long-time listener, let your friends know about us or come continue the conversation in the Profitable Farmer Facebook group. All the best as you grow your business and create your freedom farm. Until next time, keep being incredible.